Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Stuart Hungraff, CMO at ShareTribe. In this episode, we talked about why retention is key to tackling the supply-versus-demand problem in a marketplace business, what liquidity is and why it is important, and the key things you need to be looking at when building a marketplace business. We also discussed early churn at ShareTribe, why they built an entirely new product to tackle graduation churn, and how the ShareTribe's marketing team operates around churn and retention. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Stuart, welcome to the show. Hi, oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Stuart is the CMO at ShareTribe. And ShareTribe provide advanced marketplace software to help anyone build a marketplace business fast. Stuart has been with ShareTribe over four years now, helping them to secure a successful crown investment campaign, totaling over $1.1 million. He's also seen the LTV increase over 60% and currently leads a team of cross-functional growth team of five. Prior to ShareTribe, Stuart uh, held various marketing and advisory roles at companies like Babywink, Usition, and AdSearch. Uh, so my first question for you, Stuart, is what do you start with? Is it the chicken or the egg? <laughs> great, great question. Um, so the chicken and the egg, for, for those who don't know, uh, I assume, Andrew, you're referring to the supply and demand problem that marketplaces have. Absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, so this is, uh, if you start a marketplace, that is the first problem you run into, or at least your first big problem. So a marketplace is built up of two sites, supply and demand. And basically you're running two businesses. So you need to grow two sites at the same time. And the question is always, where do you start? Now, I wish there was a general answer, but the answer is, it depends. However, uh, generally, it is the supply side. So with supply side, for example, let's take Airbnb for an example. So Airbnb on the supply side has people with homes to rent, people with spaces to rent. And on the demand side, they have people who want to book a night to stay somewhere. They want to book those spaces. So the people who have a home to rent, they have that home already. So they, they can be a little bit more patient when you get them on the platform. And also they have a lot more to gain. They could eventually earn some money from this. So usually you start with getting the supply side on board. So you first find the places where you can uh, 
uh, have people book those nights. And then once you got a couple of those places on board, you try to find the demand side where you get people to actually book those nights. So I think that <laughs> we're going diving straight deep into that, but that is usually my answer. Yeah. And so like basically what you're saying now is it really depends on the business, but a lot of the times on the supply side, making sure that you can actually serve uh, the demand side when they come to you. Uh, makes yeah. a lot of sense, but as you said, it's always, it's one of those biggest challenges I think with any marketplace business is like figuring out how do you grow them in sync with one another. I think Airbnb as well as the case you mentioned, did something very specific where they knew that there was specific events happening at a certain time in the location and new demand would be increasing quite a bit for properties in that space and really tried to concentrate their efforts into a single uh, area that would have both demand and supply as well. Yeah, because like the thing, the thing that you're trying to do with the marketplace and anyone who will look into this, uh, you'll, you'll find that probably mentioned the first time is this, is this thing called liquidity. Uh, Simon Rodman from, from I think Greylock Ventures, I really hope I'm mentioning the right <laughs> venture capital firm here, but he says uh, it's not the most important metric, it's the only metric. And so liquidity means that the likelihood that if you are going on that site to look for it, you will find something. And if you list something on a marketplace, that it will get sold. And so uh, coming back to your example, like indeed Airbnb, they started very locally. So usually with a marketplace, you you put a constraint either on a category, uh, like the type of things that you offer, or like some geological constraints. So like with the Airbnb case within one city, because that sort of narrows down your problem of just having to find supply and demand within that constraint, right? So because if you get every, for example, if you would get every potential Airbnb host in Los Angeles on board, but you don't, you only get visits from New York, people who are looking for stuff in New York, you still have a marketplace that doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, in the context as well of like churn and retention, this in itself is churn happening. Uh, and these are ways to avoid it because ultimately I think from your business as well, Share Tribe, it's probably even more interesting because you're looking at this challenge from so many different angles. One, obviously providing software, you have your own customers churn to deal with, uh, but then also trying to help make your customers successful. Like, Part of it is really figuring this out, I guess, and is being able to understand, okay, like uh, what are those things where we see our customers being unsuccessful? What are those cases where, what do they need to be achieving in order for them to retain their uh, demand and supply side? So I think you must be thinking about these challenges quite a bit. Like from what you see within the market, like what are some of the things that you see in successful marketplaces versus some of the things you see that uh, aren't really as successful? Like, what are uh, the key things we need to be looking at when trying to build a marketplace business? Yeah, great, great question. Um, the first thing is what I already sort of talked about in the previous answer. I think the biggest thing that we see is that um, it's very challenging for uh, people to focus on a specific niche. We are we often see that people they they straight up want to build like a global marketplace for something and everything for everyone. Yeah, for for example, and 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 coming back to that that previous point about the the constraints. So either go down a category or going down uh, some some uh, geological location. Um, the best way that we've seen almost all of the marketplaces, also the big ones, do is just do that really well. So do something in a very tight niche, whether that is a city or a particular category. You know, you could also build, for example, the best 
you know, a thumbtack one, but only plumbers, nothing else, you know, so that in the entire US, for example, you know that every plumber in the US is going to be on that marketplace. If you do that really well, that also works. But finding the focus, like keeping a tight niche on either one or the other is probably the mo- the biggest reason why marketplaces succeed. And not doing that is also the biggest reason why uh, marketplaces fail. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain that that's the case. And I think that's also the case uh, for our customers at ShareTribe. Like we often, we often see that. And then, I mean, coming straight to the, the churn that's happening at ShareTribe. So basically, we have... Um, Kind of coming back to uh, the episode that I listened to uh, from Churn FM uh, with um, Emmanuel from uh, Bubble. From Bubble, yeah. Yeah. So he's talking that they have like two types of churn, right? So they have early churn, people who try it out and then quit after a month. Uh, and they also previously had and probably still have this, what, what we call like the graduation problem. So they, they become successful, but then they hit the limits of the platform. Enemies of so, their own success. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like they, you know, they have, they have validated their initial MVP and now they want to grow and they need certain features, integrations or other kind of scale things that, that we just uh, previously weren't able to, um, to deliver. Um, so that, that's kind of the same for us. Uh, when we look at the early churn part, um, we are dealing with startups like most of our early customers are a startup of one form or another. And then we are dealing with a particular type of startup, which I dare to say is probably the most challenging one, the marketplace startup. So a lot of our early churn is just simply ideas not working out. Yeah. Um, we try to cover that. So we have a, uh, we have a really heavy like content marketing effort, education effort. So we have this thing called the Marketplace Academy, where we have a book out called The Lean Marketplace. Uh, where we really lay out all the steps that you need to take in the beginning to, you know, get past the point of validation and maybe even to growth and scale. Uh, we interview thought leaders there. We have loads of success cases, uh, backstories, anything. So we really try to educate people like, hey, this is what you, you know, this is what you should think about when you get this started. But uh, despite all that, we still see like really, really heavy early churn. Where we're a little bit different from from Bubble and I think uh, uh, why it's a little bit harder for us is that uh, Emmanuel made a great point that he's not concerned about the early churn because he sees that people come back to Bubble to build another application, right? Yeah. And of course, that that's the benefit of Bubble because you can build, it's an, like an open-ended thing. You can build anything with it, right? Or almost anything. So, And for us, that's a little bit less of a benefit because you we can only do a marketplace. We can do that really well, but if you suddenly get a SaaS idea, you can't use ShareTribe. Yeah, you don't have entrep- like marketplace entrepreneurs who are just stuck to one specific idea and say, okay, I'm only ever going to be building marketplaces and this is it. So if one well, doesn't think- work out, the next one won't. I'm not saying that you don't have serial entrepreneurs that will build marketplaces once they've done it once successfully, but like your points, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you're not necessarily going to be fixated to the idea of building a marketplace. You might switch from idea to idea as uh, as things come up. Exactly. Although I have to say, and I think that what I see in a lot of, of course, we see a couple, like, you know, we see a number of customers come back again and again. And, and I've noticed that also in myself. And I think it, with anything where you deep dive uh, into a particular subject, like suddenly you see that everywhere, right? So I think that once you got your first marketplace idea, suddenly you see marketplaces everywhere. So we definitely see people 
come back, but not to such an extent that I'm not worried about the early churn. I'm very worried about the early churn. We, we try to do a lot of things to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, when I, we come, no, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, was, I think it's very interesting with uh, marketplaces in itself, though, as well. It's like once you get to a specific point in time, though, they become unstoppable. So at the early stages, things are very, very difficult to get off the ground, to get your supply and demand side working. But once they do work, they really, really work. And I think that's probably like the beauty of the marketplace is it might be a lot harder to get off the ground and you, you face a lot more challenges than maybe a typical uh, other business. But then once you do hit those sort of scale things, then the one sort of feeds the other. Uh, the more supply you have, the more demand you have, and uh, more and more word of mouth happening as a result. But you were going to say another area that you see uh, was a churn of retention in was... Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd love to get back to your previous point, though. Uh, but but let's let's move that to a later point. Yeah. So um, because now I earlier only uh, talked about the early churn. Um, so previously we had we also saw the graduation problem. So we had people who were successful with ShareTribe. So because a good thing actually to know about ShareTribe uh, now that uh, I didn't previously mention is that uh, we have two products. So one is called ShareTribe Go which is kind of like a square space for marketplaces. Anyone with the basic internet knowledge can open a marketplace. It's up and running in minutes. Uh, you put a domain on there, it's, it's working, everything, payments, listing, user management, et cetera. And yeah. then we have a, another product, uh, which requires a little bit more uh, development knowledge, which is called Shared Flex. And that is more like a marketplace backend as a service. So we handle everything under the hood you just need to pour the user experience in there, whether that is a mobile thing or an app. And Flex really came into existence as a solution to this graduation problem. So we saw Go was our first product, and we saw people having really, really great success with, their, with that, uh, being able to attract funding, hiring people, but then run into feature requests like uh, text notifications or very specific uh, kind of uh, booking flows that are just only specific to that type of marketplace. And of course, if you tr try to provide a platform for marketplace, you, you can't. Uh, for everything. Exactly. Like there's always the single un unique feature that someone needs in their next days that, that we weren't able to uh, produce. Of course, for some people, there's lots of, we still have lots of customers who've been with us for years and for who the feature set is just perfectly fine. Um, but as an answer to the graduation problem, we started building Flex. So that is basically, you know, within the context of this um, podcast, that is our biggest like churn growth tactics, just build an entire new product. And you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it makes total sense as well. Like uh, this being a graduation problem, wanting to make it as flexible as possible. I, I like the naming as well. The packaging is pretty good too. Mm. Yeah, and then, and that didn't even take us actually that long to come up with. So, so the good thing about Flex is that first of all, we can, you can transfer from Go to Flex. It, it's not entirely smooth, um, but also still Flex, even though it's sort of like more advanced, uh, still compared to custom development it's still like 10 times as fast and 10 times as cheap so we didn't really diverge that far from our like original um, value proposition and and basically like as an experiment it has been a huge success like the the, the monthly churn is like three times as low as from the other products and uh people i don't know like i think the ltv was like 
at some point. Like right now, of course, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, we're also like the, our most success, some of our most successful customers are also heavily affected by that. Like you can imagine that there's lots of marketplaces where people need to meet Travel in person. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the current numbers aren't represented, but at some point, like the LTV was really like ten times as high as the old product. I mean, like that yeah. is a fant- that's a fantastic metric. Like it's almost like a pivot in a way, but you've kept both businesses running at the same time. Yeah, yeah we basically built two businesses at the same time, which has which has been really challenging as well because it's always you know you only have a limited amount of development resources. Uh, are you building? And I think that's. Uh, often a thing that that anyone who ends software uh, deals with like okay are you building for your current customers or are you building for the customers that you want right and then yeah and so that that is we we often and of course we also want the current customers but um and go in itself like i I really hope i'm not framing this as that go is no longer a useful product actually quite the opposite i think that product because we also keep building on that so we have sort of half a team on go half a team on flex and that has also improved like significantly during that time. But um, yeah, we, we, we're now sort of in the process of marrying them sort of back together and make that transition smoother. Nice. Yeah, I think that is always definitely a challenge that you mentioned as well, that who are you building for and who is this product really for is something that you really, really need to lock down. And who you built it for to begin with and who you end up finally building it for can be two totally different audiences. But it feels as well like at some point in time, always like this decision needs to be made and uh, proper growth to market strategy needs to be accompanied with it. And uh, and sometimes it might mean uh, your channel that you reach these customers are changing. It might mean your pricing model is changing, but uh, figuring that out is always, it's not an easy process. And uh, But being able to sort of get to that point, I think like you mentioned as well, you saw LTV increase 3X or 4X, whatever it was like, no, really, actually, 10x. 10x. <laughs> so I mean, but, there you yeah. have it. But yeah, but but both are really interesting businesses, though, because I think the one fuels the other. And this is what I was going to actually ask you on your pricing and packaging, because uh, I can imagine, like on the low end, on the uh, hobby and pro plans, you probably see a lot of churn happening there, um, because uh, like, and this is my interpretation. We chatted a little bit about this over LinkedIn, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But it feels like for a a marketplace business, this is something that as well is not something you're just going to be flick the switch and you're ready to launch and get started. Like there would be a setup time where you'd want to be testing and trialing the product, prepping your marketing, prepping your company, like how you're going to launch. And then maybe like two, three months down the line, are you actually ready to start making money from this product? It's not something that you're going to make money from immediately. So I wonder like how much churn do you see from people just signing up for one or two months and then churning up because they never ever got to that point where they were establishing the value. And where in one aspect, it's bad because it's churn and you never want churn in this business. But another aspect, it's also income and cash flow. Um, and I wonder if you ever have these discussions as well internally over like uh, the cash flow uh, versus like making sure that you have good product market fits and you're allowing people to establish like good habits before charging them. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a couple of questions. There's a lot there, in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's first of all look at the at the cash flow part. So, you know, like, what is the nice thing about Share Tribe? It's, it's first of all, it's 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 a great product. I, I can really honestly say that. Uh, we have great customer service, and we see people turn who for who the the product has done its job. Um, so they don't turn because they they there's something with the product that they don't like. Uh, a great example, for example, uh, that we had was a company called Next Mover. So they wanted to build a marketplace for uh, moving companies. 
Um, so they built the site. I think it was up and running in one month. Let's say they paid for three three months, four months. I don't exactly remember. Um, and then they find out that actually, well, the frequency of people booking uh, moving services is is quite low. Yeah. You know, you only move once every couple of years, hopefully, or on average. So bringing each part of the demand to like each customer to the um, platform is expensive. And then if you have to make all of your uh, uh, profits back in that one and only transaction, it requires a really high margin, which is really difficult with these moving companies because their margin isn't too big to begin with. So basically, they just found out that their execution or their idea, it just didn't work. So those people churn. I mean, the, the product has totally provided value to them. Let's say that they've paid us, well, three times a, a pro plan. It's like hundred or around 400 euros or $400. I think that's like, you know, like that's a perfect transaction also from our side. Like we've helped them. They had an idea. They tested it out. They realized it didn't work. Um, we, we, we separate our way. In the meantime, indeed, like you said, we've been able to take those $400. So we're very happy with that. It is, however, and I think you tried to point uh, towards that as well. It is kind of addictive that uh, with this sort of low touch or actually no touch service model uh, with high volume of, of trials coming in and then customers coming in, it's uh, sometimes difficult to make the right decision because you're so, let's say that we would make it more difficult to sign up. We would see an immediate plunge in this uh, first month revenue. Let's call it first month revenue, right? Yeah. While uh, in the long term, let's say that for some reason we would make it more difficult to sign up, but that would include a better way to prepare them for retention. Let's say we put we put them through a one-on-one education course or something like that, right? Uh, I think it's difficult sometimes to find that balance to see like okay, we could do something that indeed would reduce that first revenue, but over time would give us a better lifetime value and even more like net cash at the end of the road. So yeah, that's something we, I often strive, we often struggle with because we are uh, a self-owned company or we're actually, we're a steward owned company. I can talk a little bit more about it later, uh, but we're not profitable yet. Uh, we're trying to pay everybody a salary, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, there is, um, there is definitely that, that tension. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's, and it's also, it's one of those things is you don't know what you don't know as well. So like uh, in making a decision like this, so we're talking about there's so many variables that come into play. Um, one is like by reducing the number of people that actually get to experience the product value and making it more difficult for them. That's also has an, another knock-on effect that could potentially impact your word of mouth, having less people talk about the product. So um, yeah, and actually, even though they might not have been super happy because it didn't meet their needs, it doesn't stop them from telling others that it really is a great product. So. Yeah, and actually, sorry, one thing, I, I now I remember one thing I wanted to say uh, in relation to your previous question is that um, what I think is sometimes uh, difficult for people to see, to see the value that Charter provides. Uh, because basically, if you would have to build it from scratch or if you would have to build that any other way, like literally with Shadow Go, you can have a full marketplace up and running, payments work through Stripe, listing, Google Maps, everything works out of the box, like within like a minute after you entered your email address. And yep. I think it's very, uh, uh, because it's so easy, people sometimes sort of forget to value that, right? So they're like, ah, oh, but you know, second month, this is so expensive because we are, we are not a, we are not a, we're not a, cheap tool like a, 
the sort of the, the most um, common plan starts at $119 per month, uh, which is not like, like people often compare us to these no-code tools, which are per tool a lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, but people forget that like, well, you know, like actually you Beginning get quite a lot platform. of that out of the box. Like you haven't even had to talk to anyone to get this up and running. You didn't even know, need to go out, spec out your feature thing. Like it was just up and running. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a complaint, but that's like, like a silly complaint, of course. But I feel that that's a, a feature that's often overlooked. And of course, it's not a great feature for retention, right? Like it's a value that's delivered and that expires at the moment of going live. Actually, that's an interesting, can I give an interesting anecdote towards that? For sure. Actually, when I, when I joined ShareTribe, uh, the tagline was something like up and running in minutes or something. I think that was like, or something around that sense, that, it, that the main value proposition was in the, the fact that it was up and running really fast. And then we realized like quite soon after I joined that like, well, that's not a great, that's not a great uh, value prop for as subscription-based business if the most important thing is that it's fast uh, and that's sort of well you deliver that front like, what about the next month so yeah yeah that, and that's actually you just got, triggered a thought in my head now as well it's like a lot of times um when we see trend happening is it's also because that's the problems change for then the use cases change of users so in the beginning like they might come to your service because they need a marketplace software um, but then a year from now that they have their marketplace software, that person's problems and challenges are different. And uh, this is, again, like part of what you're talking to the graduation side of things, but also like how can you better serve your customers is really understanding like what are the use cases and what are the problems that they have at each stage of their cycle through your product. And then I think obviously that's where sort of you, you've come out with the uh, flex plan, but then also there's other areas where you can sort of understand, okay, like what's next? What else can we solve to make our customers' lives easier? Uh, that we can continue to deliver value to them as they go and as their problems and challenges change. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's a, that's a good point. And that indeed, like with with flex pro with the flex uh, product, I just want to make clear it's not a plan. It's like an entire there's there's not a single line of code oh, yeah, shared between the two products. Okay. I just have to say that yeah. um, uh, it's a lot easier to uh, communicate that value because indeed you can still like you can. For example, there is some where you can keep on fine-tuning your transaction flow and you can customize so many things uh, depending on your needs of the day. And that is just a lot more difficult with the, with the Go uh, product. But then again, there, is, there are customers of us who have been years with Go and are still able to get most out of it. Because I think that um, people often get too focused on the tech. Uh, we see that also with, with early talks with people that they are... Uh, you know, a great marketplace just solves a real problem. And it's not about, ra rarely is that about the way that the problem is solved or like, yeah, the technological sophistication. It's really about, you know, bringing two parties together that wouldn't otherwise have found each other. And so whether that happens in a very sophisticated way or just through the basic feature set of Go, that's often, uh, the value doesn't really get in, it doesn't really increase necessarily by that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I see the value, the point you made as well, like with Bubble, or we actually also now a recent episode with Webflow, 
um, and we spoke to Bryant, the CTO there, uh, one of the founders as well, is that like the pricing that you're talking about, like with the share tribe is you're really getting something that's just like click and go. Uh, in There's a lot of sort of aspects that have gone into the product that really make it easy. One of my first startups that I built um, was actually a marketplace and I know the amount of effort and work that goes into getting things set up and especially if you want to build things from scratch yourself and develop the technology. Uh, it costs months and uh, months of work and uh, a lot to develop to get to the point. So I, I like from my personal experience, understand the pricing and like it's almost like a no-brainer. But I think you have this also other challenges that education that not everybody understands what it costs to build software and not everybody knows what goes into making this happen. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I think why where the value is, is that really what we sort of already earlier established that like, in all fairness, I think marketplaces are just also more difficult businesses to build, right? Like you're building basically two businesses. You're building a business for the supply side and you're building a separate business for the demand side. And in some cases, they can be really, really different like what you're trying to offer them. So we always try to tell people that like, hey, what you should focus on is the business part, like get that part right, because that is where the majority of your challenges are. And that's also, why I think, why, why it's in, in a way it's it's such a great product because then you can really just fo- like focus on the business stuff. Like we'll, we'll handle the tech part. Absolutely. You just make sure that whatever you're selling there is is what people want. Yeah, and I, and I love the case as well that you shared earlier of the moving company and uh, realizing that frequency was an issue. I think like if they had probably focused on the business component more to begin with, they would have realized this to start and not waste those four months within the product. But uh, really like allowing you just to forget about technology and just figure out like who are my customers, how is this marketplace going to be working, what are the risks like that sort of in itself is super, super valuable. And although customers might end up churning on your respect, it gives them a way to really figure this stuff out faster, not waste years of their lives trying to oh, build exactly. a business. It's not going to work. Yeah. No, and, and it's really like, we, we really, like, it's really nice that we still feel the way, well, we've helped them. You know, we've helped them. There's a fair transaction that's taken place. This is really, yeah. you know, they, they were able to fulfill their dream or to, to check out their dream. I have to say, I have to say though, that like we see more and more uh, of these like low frequency businesses also working out. So, so yeah. I have good hope for that. <laughs> good. For them. Yeah. No, but I'm just, it was an interesting point from that perspective. Like uh, that's something you probably could have done your research to begin with, uh, which is something I think very few people really do spend enough time uh, doing. And it's something like for my next company, I'm being really, really deliberate about is like, spending the time to be patient and really trying to understand uh, the markets and trying to make sure like before we get going with something like we have a certain level degree of confidence that we've never really had in the past as well. So, yeah. Um, next thing I'm interested to hear about is your perspective from uh, CMO and from marketing and growth. Like how do you view churn and retention within the organization? Like what, is your involvement with this metric how does the team operate around it um so right now uh we don't spend uh, that much uh attention on it because of well i hope that was sort of clear of the story we we we, we laid out earlier that the, a lot of the like the biggest churn impact the early churn uh it feels control. that yeah it feels that a lot of the things are are out of our control and then when you look at the like the long term retention thing that is often a situation of product right so i'm involved and uh we discuss it regularly and of course it's it's a number it's one of the one of the few numbers that we track really heavily 
especially because we were looking at it so early as a validation of the uh, the choice of building flex. Um, yeah. But we don't, I, we should, of course, and I think that's probably, you could ask me a question about any particular marketing thing. And I would say we should, of course, do more. Uh, but but um, we look at it, we follow it closely. Uh, but overall, like, I'm happy to say that over the last, let's say, two years, uh, churn in general has decreased a lot, while we haven't seen a decrease in sort of top of the funnel things. So, so growth has, has, has sped up uh, from that perspective. And I'm quite happy with the level where it is at now yeah uh, i still think we can do better at the early turn part uh because i think that some people i think that a lot of the churn because it is so easy and i think anyone with a sort of like very low friction uh, onboarding process will confirm the same thing that it's so easy to sign up that i'm pretty sure like we have this exit survey like for for, for one people's churn and yeah. one of the reasons there, that's one of the most popular reasons, I haven't checked it in a while, but it used to be like maybe the number two reason that I didn't really launch my marketplace. Yeah, that's and, what I was looking to earlier. Yeah, and that's of course, and that's of course, like that happens probably to everyone. That's so easy to sign up. And, and I'm sure maybe you even have a couple of those. Like I, I for sure have, like if, you, if you're ever gone to AppSumo or something, then you buy something and you're like, oh, well, actually, this is such a good deal. I'm going to check it out later, but I'm buying it now. And yeah. then you don't actually use it. And I wish that that is something, I feel that that is maybe where our biggest potential wins are still. Like if people have gone through that process, put out the credit card, and like I said, we're not a cheap product. This is not an impulse buy. Still, there, there is an opportunity there for us to really activate them and at least get them into months two, three, or four rather than uh, the next time the credit card uh, uh, charge comes. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of work you mentioned earlier around training, onboarding, education. Uh, these are sort of things really going to help uh, in that area. The, the other point you mentioned, I think, is very interesting. It's, it's an important one, and it came up in episode as well with Emmerich uh from Avora Pulse, where talking about segmenting your churn by what you can control and what you can't control. And I think this is also an interesting point that comes up, uh, is that a lot of times when we look at churn or retention, we look at it as this whole number and then we try to set targets uh, against it and how to improve it without really understanding what's within our control and what's not. So like you mentioned, somebody never launching the um, marketplace or going out of business is really not in your control um, to a large extent. So being able to measure yourself against that is also not something that you can uh, like fairly do. And doing the exercise of really being able to segment like what are the reasons for churn and then what are the reasons that we can actually make a dent on, what can we impact is really, really effective way of like giving a team focus and actionable metrics and goals that uh, is actually achievable uh, through the product. But, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, I really now actually now we're talking about this, I get always quite enthusiastic like. Uh, I'm feeling that a similar sort of approach to this Raul Vora's famous like product marketing fit survey, you know, you yeah. should, you should probably, there should probably someone write an article and do some experiment about how to do that with churn indeed. Like, you know, what are your, what are your potential high, like high LTVs there that have churned somehow either, yeah. either divided by their actions or their motivations. But of course, I think the biggest problem with this with the churn research is often that people are so done with your company by that time that they really exactly. they don't want to have an exit talk. So 
But yeah, that's sure. a very good point. Like I think that's something we should definitely also do more. We have this basic division, but but I haven't, if I'm honest, I have never sort of dove deep into what lies underneath there. For sure. Uh, and actually, you mentioned Raul Borja. We also had him uh, on the show as well. So definitely advise you to check that episode out. Uh, super interesting chat where we actually went through his product market fit survey and uh, the methodology behind it. Uh, so I see we're running up on time, Should uh, One last question before we go for today and something I ask every guest that joins the show. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you've joined a new company, churn and retention is not doing great, and you've been asked to try to turn things around. Uh, they've given you 90 days to try and get some results. What would you be doing in those first 90 days to try and turn things around for the company? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Oh, that's very challenging because I feel that um, maybe I'm too stuck in the share tribe way of thinking, but uh, real churn impact, it's so difficult to, to, to surface that in 90 days, right? Like, I think the first thing I would like to do uh, is understand better, like why people are churning. Um, and yeah, secondly, oh my God, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's a tough one as well because a lot of people come back that 90 days is not enough time <laughs> to impact it. Yeah, because like I mean, like if we if I look at what what stuff we have done previously on churn, I can just see that it 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 and or even with onboarding that there's so much um, noise in the data. Like if you have our 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 kind of uh, our kind of volume, that it's difficult to to say anything conclusive. And I think that. Um, if anything, you should see it go up, of course, but like within 90 days, it might be really challenging. Yeah, I think that it's a good point as well that you mentioned now noise in the data and at certain volumes. And that's also just another point to be aware of uh, when you're looking to try and impact this metric. A lot of times as well, uh, looking at data, depending on your stage of growth, may not be good enough and really need to rely a lot more heavily on qualitative research and uh, trying to understand uh, where you can make these impacts as opposed to looking at internal metrics uh, yeah and i think that i think what's come what has come to me as a surprise whenever looking at these kind of data is like seasonality and software buying like that is uh it's only now when i've been at chat i've been the longest basically ever in my career that i realized that okay yeah there's certain months of the year where for our particular product there is just a lot more natural interest and i think if you don't account for that in your data it's it's very unreliable conclusions Absolutely. I was actually looking at our data internally at Hotjar uh, this week. It's like, uh, and actually looking just how the impacts of COVID. And from a data perspective, if you just look at our month on month, it just looks to us like December came twice uh, over the last six months. Uh, but definitely we see like a big dip in December always as people go on holidays and this impacts sort of user retention, obviously, uh, which similarly happened now with COVID-19 and then things recover as well. So it's, it definitely is like seasonality is another thing to be aware of when looking at it. And uh, like yeah. in your point, it takes you four years at a company to see this. You maybe don't see it if you're moving from company to company and spending the time to really see year on year what uh, changes look like. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, this is really great chatting today. Uh, pleasure having you on the show. Like, is anything you'd like to leave the listeners with before we end today? Anything they should be aware of or keep up to date uh, with? Um, well, actually, if I can do a plug for uh, the own podcast that we're recording, yep. if that is allowed, <laughs> we, can, we can add it on. So um, we are doing, as part of the education thing, we're now talking to um, 
marketplace, uh, brilliant minds uh, for marketplaces. And you can find it at uh, sharetrad.com slash two-sided from two-sided marketplace. And I would love people check that out because apparently people love podcasts. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested in starting a marketplace, I think definitely that sounds like a good podcast to start listening to. And uh, I, I'd also recommend checking out the Share Tribe products. Like Shurd himself uh, has recommended quite a lot to the show today. But uh, looking at it, it really looks like a really solid, complete solution to get up and running fast. And if you're thinking about testing out a new marketplace idea, there's no better way, I think, than, uh, and it'll save you a lot of pain and effort to get up and running and start making money. So it's been a pleasure having you today, Shurd. Thank you so much for joining. And I wish you now best of luck going forward. Thanks. Pleasure was all mine. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.